Once again, to Refresher, the Pop Culture Therapy Podcast, I am still Chris Levine, and I am beyond happy that you decided to tune in again to this happy, happy podcast. Today, you and I will dwell on the concept of our modes of transportation, or maybe our dream modes of transportation. In other words, what does your car, truck, or motorcycle, or your dream car truck or motorcycle psychologically say about you this should be a fun one in fact let's let's get off at lancashire boulevard and go up the hill and check in with cars used in hollywood on television now hollywood they usually get their car to actor ratio pretty dead on like could you imagine or picture the monsters driving anything besides the monster mobile Probably not. Could, could, could the car in Knight Rider have been a Ford Pinto that talked? <laughs> as hot as that would have been? David Hasselhoff in a talking Ford Pinto? More than likely, that wouldn't have really tracked, so they made a good call with the car that they used. But when you really think about it, isn't it true that a good car in a show sometimes is one of the stars, if not the star of the show? No Kit, no Knight Rider, no General Lee, a way less interesting Dukes of Hazard. The A-Team van was easily another member of said team. Ponch, John, the Fonz, they all had their co-star, a.k.a. their motorcycles. The Scooby-Doo people had the Mystery Machine van. Seriously, even the Flintstones car was on point. In all cases, the vehicles of these characters helped add to or define outrightly who those characters were. So then, the million-dollar question is this. Does our vehicle define us? Is it the same in real life? How about this? Do I look like my car? Do I look like a good match? Now, let me give you a disclaimer. Not all of us, obviously, drive our dream vehicles. We may have had to go more practical for realistic or perhaps financial reasons. So if you're listening to this on the freeway and you see someone in, say, a Volvo, that Volvo might not define that person and might not be that person's dream car. Then again, that car was once considered to be the safest car in existence, and if it was bought for that reason... It may, on the other hand, say a ton about that driver. But let's dig deeper. There's a website called driversautomart.com, and they summarize a few other car genres here with perceptions. I'll, I'll just read what they state here. For example, if you like sports cars in general, in psychological terms, these people would fall under the category of emulators. Statistically, they tend to thrive off the need for thrills. Would you agree with this? 
How about somebody who purposefully drives an economical or a small car? Well, according to a study conducted by researchers at UC Davis, those who drive smaller cars are often environmentally conscious and prefer higher density neighborhoods compared to drivers of other kinds of cars. The bigger the city, the higher the concern for fuel efficiency and the easier it is to park with a smaller car. Last one. I'm going to say one word. You tell me what comes to mind. Minivan. You immediately have a picture, don't you? Fans of the minivan statistically are more likely to live in the suburbs, be middle-aged, and enjoy a family. It's also no surprise that those who own one of these vehicles are often nominated for carpool duties. Now, for the record, I don't always believe that desiring a certain car makes one instantly materialistic. I mean, if we have to sacrifice our lives and put more important things on the back burner to support our car habit, that's different, obviously. But liking a specific kind of vehicle, for whatever reason to me, is no different than picking out a beach towel or specific vegetable plant that you'd like to add to your garden because you like the taste of that vegetable. It's just that vehicles are way more expensive than plants and towels. Otherwise, it's not that different. It's just your taste and your preference. Still, though, there are some people that go to pretty big extremes. For example, I know a person who purposefully drives an old beat-up car because he is more comfortable knowing that it's least likely, at least in his mind, to get stolen when around other cars. I also know people who, for mainly shallower reasons, wouldn't be caught dead driving that same car. So one person is viewing a car as a practical necessity only. The other is viewing it as a status symbol. I think there's a middle ground. I, I wouldn't even go so far as to say it's a status symbol, though. I, I just think that certain cars are cool and certain people like them. Now, if money and time and effort were absolutely no object, personally, I would like to have a really old car in great shape. Now, I'm not a car guy per se. I wish I was. I don't know much about cars. I just know what I like to see. And those big old vintage cars, like a 1954 Lincoln Capri Sport or a 1951 Pontiac Chieftain, those are Chris Levine cars. They're just so insanely cool to me. But let me ask you this. It's obvious I'm not anywhere near as old as these cars are. So if you saw me in one of them driving around, especially if it was a convertible, what would you think of me? Would I be perceived as purposefully trying to be different? Would I look like a show off? See, I'm hoping that what would come to mind would be instead that I just really love mid-century modern and vintage things. And that would be absolutely correct. You see, I would be noticed in cars like this, but hopefully not in the way that I had something to prove. And that equation would fit me pretty well, too. My goal might be, if I even had one, that someone just say, wow, that's a cool old car. And it would probably just stop there. But for some, that's not enough. It needs to go way further. A vehicle for some is a way of saying what the principal said in the Say Anything movie. Hey world, 
check me out. It's an attention getter. It completes a look that some are going for to define the perception that they want of themselves. But even if you don't want them to, cars send a message. Driving a pickup truck sends a message. Driving a muscle car sends a message. We talked about TV cars. What about movie cars? Do they send a message to kind of illustrate the point? Do they take on a personification too? Burt Reynolds' car in Smokey and the Bandit, for example, could easily be described as best supporting actor, <laughs> right alongside Sally Field, Jackie Gleason, or Jerry Reed. Or, or hey, do you remember the Love Bug movies? Herbie, that was the name of the car. Herbie was essentially the main character, and he was a Volkswagen. And I just called it he. What does that tell you? He had as much of a good and lovable personality, didn't talk, but you rooted for him. Whereas the other extreme, the car in Christine, <laughs> was a jealous Plymouth Fury that was just all bad all the time. It brings me down to this. Do we personify our cars? Do you, for example, assign your vehicle a gender? Like, you know, he's getting old. He has over 200,000 miles on him. Or, you know, this car, she's never let me down. Do you name your vehicles? I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just curious. In fact, a lot of people do this. According to Nationwide Insurance, who is not a sponsor of this program, just FYI, it's National Name Your Car Day each year on October 2nd. It's coming up. And according to Forbes, the insurance company said that on September 30th, a poll found close to 25% of the respondents have an actual name for their car. You know what this all tells me? This tells me that to some degree, we have some emotional stock in our vehicles, whether we're mad at them or whether we love them. Oftentimes, one way or the other, they elicit emotion from us. I'll tell you, my current vehicle is not my dream vehicle. And for all intents and purposes, if I never possess a dream vehicle, I'm okay with that. But I can say this. I have padded the dashboard after a long day driving in the same way that I may have patted a kid on the head. I've said thank you to my car before after I got out of traffic or got out of a bad weather situation. My point is that we probably all, to some degree, have developed some kind of relationship with our car. And sometimes it's blatant. A teenager, their first car is almost like a first love in some cases, or at least a first relationship. It's all brand new and stars are often in their eyes. No matter the car, it was ours. Some people, when they get a car, they never fall out of love with their car. Others, they have extremely bad breakups with their car. But again, the moving pieces of metal that we steer that get us through the drive through to help us acquire our iced tea and our French fries elicit some feeling from us, be it good or bad. People also, sometimes they, they get bored with their cars. They just get in them and drive them. Sometimes people get bored with relationships in the exact same way. Some take advantage or just get used to their cars. They're just there without much thought. 
and people sometimes do that in their relationships too. Maybe we can close this one out this way. We can't always perceive how people view us. We can try heavily to portray ourselves one way and we can still come across another way. Like if an elderly person is driving a little bit slower and they cut me off in their old LeBaron and I don't like it, I still probably view them in their car psychologically in a way that I don't automatically get mad. But now let's say a huge raised pickup truck with a younger person in it does the exact same thing. I may honestly have to fight hating that person on the spot or, or I'll pacify myself by making a joke out of the whole situation as they speed by by saying, USA, USA or something. The point is, with both cars, it was the same action. Both cut me off. But the vehicles prejudiced me. In fact, it might have been the other way around. The older couple may have obnoxiously been driving like that on purpose and didn't care. And perhaps the young guy in that truck may honestly have not seen me and just made a silly mistake. But I define their motive and them as a human being by their vehicle without even thinking about it. So here's what I suggest. I suggest that we work on ourselves as people, regardless of the wheels we get behind. Because again, we can only control people's perceptions to a point. We can feed stereotypes and live up to the assumptions of people's thought processes. Or we can be good people. Good people in a Chevy Impala. Good people in an RV. Good people on a Harley. Good people on a Vespa. Good people in a Hyundai. Then, perhaps, wherever our vehicle takes us will be places that are happier and where we really want to go. We have once again arrived at the time on Refresher when we present you with a Spotify playlist that is really, really good driving music. Guys, I love this playlist. It is a fun one. I really hope you check it out. We have for you this time around a Refresher podcast, Here in My Car, I Feel Safest of All playlist. You can find it really easily on Spotify. Just type in Refresher Podcast. Here in my car, I feel safest of all, and you will find it there. Track number one. Now, you may call this pure kitschy, but I legitimately love it, and I don't care what anybody thinks. The song is called Harley Davidson by Brigitte Bardot. I have, for the record, a huge playlist of French 60s pop music, and it just makes me so, so happy. Anyway, that's track one, Harley Davidson by Brigitte Bardot. Number two, Brand New Cadillac by The Clash, which is their version of the 1959 song by Vince Taylor, of course, on their infamous London Calling record. Number three is Jeepster by T-Rex. Number four is Bob Dylan, and the song is from a Buick 6. Number five. This is a classic. This is thought by some to be one of the first rock and roll songs ever made. It just straddles that line between jump music and vintage rock and roll. Number five is Rocket 88 by Jackie Brenston 
and his Delta Cats. Number six is Go Lil Camaro Go by the Ramones. Number seven is Jaguar by The Who from their The Who Sell Out record. Number eight is Chevrolet by ZZ Top. Number nine. Wow. This song is one of the best storytelling songs ever, both lyrically and sonically. I revisit it every couple of years, and it blows me away every time I do. It is just so good. And it was honestly the very first song that I chose for this list. The song is Red Barchetta from Rush. Tom Sawyer gets a lot of attention on their Moving Pictures album, which I totally understand. But for my money, Red Barchetta is just phenomenal. I think it's technically Red Barchetta, but he sings it Red Barchetta, so we'll go with that. Put it on with headphones, close your eyes, and it will take you away from wherever you are to something cinematic. It's pure cinema for the ears. It also shows how inventive and completely underrated Alex Lifeson is as a guitarist when you really pay attention to what he's doing and when you're not distracted by that band's superhuman rhythm section, which is as tight as possible here, too. Number nine, Red Barchetta by Rush. And number 10, very short, very melodic, more like a demo, Studebaker by Warren Zevon. That is our new playlist. Again, you can find this playlist really easily on Spotify. Just type in Refresher Podcast. Here in my car, I feel safest of all. Listen all, this show would not exist without you. If you could all do me a favor and please continue to pass this podcast along to your friends. If you think they'd enjoy it, that would be great. If you think it would help them, especially when we go a little deeper, next week's is going to be really deep. I, I, it's going to be kind of a kind of a, a, a tearjerker. So if you think that it might help people, please let them know. Also, if you'd like to help keep this podcast stay up and running, if you would like, you can make a small monthly contribution. Just support this podcast by seeing the support this podcast link under the episode description. If you're so inclined, that would be great. But whether you decide to do it or don't, just don't worry about it. You can listen to the show anytime, whether you contribute or not. It is yours. As always, the music that begins and ends this podcast is by the band Dive. And the song that's been chosen is called A Day Late, and it was written by Mr. John Villafuerte. But until next time, this is Chris Levine for Refresher, the Pop Culture Therapy Podcast. Everyone, please take care and do yourself a favor and remember that there's a big difference between worry and concern. We'll see you next time. Thank you.